Before we hear from God's word this evening, let us pray together that he would bless it to us. Let's pray. Grant to us, O Lord, your Holy Spirit and the wisdom that comes down from above, so that your word may not be bound, but may have free course, being proclaimed to our joy and edification. We ask this through the mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. And turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Psalm 16, which will be our sermon text for this evening. Psalm 16, uh, all 11 verses. This is God's holy word. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Well, as I'm sure you're aware, the Psalter is a collection of 150 songs of Israel, collected, composed over time, various decades, various writers, and then carefully arranged into five books. Our psalm this evening is found in the first book of the Psalter, amidst several other psalms of David, but those other psalms are quite bleak. Their laments, their cries for help. And I'll go ahead and read a few excerpts from them just to give us an idea of how Psalm 16 compares to its surrounding psalms. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 14, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Psalm 15, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? which may sound like a simple question, but this is a lament. David is describing in Psalm 15 the kind of person who belongs on the Lord's holy hill. And as this description is written, it becomes clear that no such person exists, at least not at that time. And David is lamenting that. And then Psalm 17, the psalm after ours for this evening, hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. So Psalm 16 is in the midst of these other laments and these cries for help, but it's different, even though verse 1 makes us think it might be the same. As we read just a moment ago, it begins with this very brief, very general cry to the Lord for help. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. But after that initial plea, the rest of this psalm, David is describing the many reasons he has for contentment even in the midst of his trouble. 
So verse 1 shows us David is in some kind of trouble, just like he was in Psalms 13 through 17, which is, right away is a crucial reminder to us that contentment is not based upon our outward circumstances. David is content despite the danger he faces and the suffering endures, and that will, that will come up again later as we go through this psalm. But his focus in Psalm 16 is not the trouble he's in, but all the reasons he has to be content in the midst of his trouble. So we'll discover as we go through this psalm six reasons David is content. The first and foremost reason is found in verse 2. The Lord is his. David was content because he knew God. He knew the Lord. And here he's using the covenant name of God. David is saying to Yahweh, you are my Lord. So he's thinking covenantally here. He's remembering the promises that Yahweh made to him. Not only the promises to Israel, but also to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, those former promises that were based on the gospel of free grace. And as those who believe in that same gracious gospel administered to us in the new covenant, we, just like David, can claim the Lord as our own. We are his, and he is ours. And just like David in Psalm 16, we can declare that nothing else is good apart from knowing him. So no matter what we're going through in life, the fact that we know the Lord never changes. That's the baseline, the foundation of our contentment. It's our first and primary source of joy, even in the midst of trouble. We find David's second reason for contentment in verse 3. The first was knowing the Lord. The second is knowing the Lord's people. The term mighty ones, which translated here is saints, but it's, it's mighty ones, and it usually refers to spiritual beings, uh, either to angels or false gods, Or if it referred to human beings, it referred to people with political power, kings and princes. But here David provides a new definition for who is mighty and who is excellent. It's not earthly rulers. Rather, it is those who trust in God. And he's grateful that he's not alone in his faith. He rejoices that there are others who also claim Yahweh as their Lord. So as we hear David's thankful words, we're reminded as believers that we should be thankful as well for the church. Not only the Catholic church, the universal church, but our own congregations, those that we have the blessed privilege of gathering with each week and worshiping the Lord with and loving and serving. Now, we can sometimes um, idealize this idea of church fellowship, perhaps expecting never to be sinned against, or let down by our brothers and sisters. And if we have those expectations, we'll surely be disappointed. Instead, the reality is that the mere fact that a community of believers exists is a gift of God, and it's for our benefit and our upbuilding and our mutual good. He has gifted all of us with gifts to serve one another, and he works through us to encourage and love one another. This is something David recognized, and it helped him feel content in the midst of his troubles. The third reason David finds contentment, even in danger, is found in verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So here we see, from a negative perspective, David's disdain for idolatry and false worship. This is a sharp contrast to the appreciation he's just expressed in verse 3 
for his fellow believers, those who also claim Yahweh as their God. But this isn't David lapsing into some kind of sinful self-righteousness, propping himself up as faultless and looking down on others who, who have it wrong. Instead, he's simply declaring where he stands, and where he stands is on God's side. Just like God, he is declaring that he will not tolerate any forms of false worship. So while those in neighboring nations and even some Israelites pour out drink offerings on pagan altars, David refuses to be involved in any of these practices or to worship any false deity. To put all of this positively, David is thankful that he is able to worship the true God truly. He's expressing his gratitude for not having to take part in these sad and and pointless pagan rituals. Those people are deceived, and they're deceiving themselves through what they do. On the other hand, David is delighted as he worships the Lord of heaven, the true sovereign of the universe. And likewise, as Christians, we should all feel joy and gratitude each Lord's Day. Every chance we have to gather to worship the Lord with the Lord's people is a blessing. Thus, we can be content knowing that we have not been left to the hopeless task of creating our own religion or following one of the false religions of the world, both of those paths lead to dead ends. But instead, by God's grace, we have been placed on the path leading to eternal life. Reason four for David's contentment is described in verses five and six. And essentially, these verses show his satisfaction with the Lord's providence. The language he uses is borrowed from the book of Joshua. The four terms, portion, lot, Boundary lines and inheritance were all used to narrate the distribution of Canaan to the 12 tribes. So David uses this analogy of apportioning the land of Canaan to speak of the circumstances of his life. Because Yahweh is ultimately his lot and his portion, David declares that no matter what his inheritance appears to be, he knows that it is good because the one who apportioned it is good. And he declares this in spite of the fact that things are not going well for him. Remember, he opened this song with a cry for help. He is in need. Yet he still writes here in verses 5 and 6 this confession of trust, that God knows what he's doing, that he's in control. This reminds us that no matter what we're experiencing, anything on the scale of life, from utter tragedy to pure joy, from riches to poverty, sickness health, anything at all, the boundaries of our inheritance have been determined by God who loves us. So while we certainly don't rejoice in suffering itself, we can have joy knowing that the Lord is in control. He is on our side and he's by our side. And that leads us right into reason five for David's contentment. In verses 7 and 8, we see that David is content knowing that he has access to the comforting counsel of the Lord. And one thing that really stands out in these verses, at least it did to me, is the second part of verse 7, where David says that in the night, his heart instructs him. It's easy to worry at night, isn't it? You're laying in bed, it's the end of the day, the, the tasks are done, there's nothing left to do except for your mind to wander. And as your body lays there still, you find that your mind isn't still, and it's running all over the place with worry 
and anxiety. You can't fall asleep. But David says that even in nights like those which he surely was experiencing during this time of trouble, the Lord gives him counsel and instructs him. Of course, he says his heart instructs him. But what heart is David talking about? He's talking about the new heart that he has been given, this regenerated heart that he has received from the Lord. His mind, his will, his desires have been shaped by God's grace. And thus, it really is the Lord who is instructing David on these sleepless nights. He's able to recall God's promises and be encouraged, and he finds hope in the gospel. Then in verse 8, David writes that the Lord is always before him, and he's at his right hand, and as a result, David will not be shaken. God goes before him, leading him down a path of safety, showing him the way, and God is beside him at his right hand. This is the place of support, and help and protection. We could think of this in terms of a a fatherly analogy. David is like a young boy learning to ride a bike as the Lord runs alongside him, holding him up, keeping him safe. As those in Christ, we can take that image and apply it to ourselves. Recall Jesus's words to Mary Magdalene recorded for us in John 20. Go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So the Lord is not only our God, our covenant Lord, he's also our heavenly father, and he cares for us as his children, even as he cared for his own eternally begotten son. Well, sixth and finally, in verses 9 through 11, we see that David finds contentment in the future promise of resurrection. David is confident that his flesh dwells secure because he knows God is a resurrecting God. Even when I die, David says, that won't be the end for me. He's looking beyond this life. So even if his circumstances never improve, he knows that this earthly life is not the only life there is. There's another life to come, a new life where he will have a new body and he will dwell in the new heavens and earth with his Lord. And thinking about that future promise gives him great hope and contentment. So this reminds us that our contentment in some respects is correlated with our mindset. If we have a worldly mindset, only looking at the things of this earth that we experience day to day, that we could possibly hope to experience in this life, what will we demand to feel satisfied? Demand the things of this earth, health, wealth, prosperity. Security, physical security. But with a heavenly mindset, a mindset fixed on the eternal things to come, we won't demand any worldly blessing to feel satisfied. We can be satisfied simply knowing that we will dwell with our Savior and our God forevermore in the world to come. And that's what David reminds us of here in these final verses of Psalm 16. So we've seen Going through this psalm, six reasons David lists for his contentment in the midst of trouble. But there's one problem with Psalm 16. Maybe you noticed it. In verse 10, David seems to be saying that the Lord will not allow him to rot in the grave. But that's exactly what happened to him. Just like every other person who's died and been buried in the ground, David's body decayed. So how do we solve this problem? Well, the Apostle Peter answers for us in Acts 2. 
Brothers and sisters, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So the apostle Peter says that in Psalm 16, David was speaking prophetically. In faith, he recognized that he was not the ultimate king that God had promised. Instead, he was just a foretaste, a shadow of that great king to come. So he prophesied in Psalm 16:10 about that great king to come. Even though my body will undergo decay, David said, the promised one We'll never experience that. And of course, that prophecy came true. Jesus' body did not decay, even those three days when he was in the tomb. So as the ultimate Davidic king, the words of Psalm 16 are Jesus' words. And as with all other types that Jesus fulfilled, he escalates things. He brings them to a whole new level. Jesus suffered more than David, more than any other person ever suffered. And yet, at the same time, Jesus was also more content than David or any other person could be content because he had a perfect, unwavering trust in his heavenly Father, and that afforded him perfect satisfaction. Because we are in Christ, the the words of Psalm 16 become our words as well. Our bodies will not, in an ultimate sense, suffer decay. We'll be raised to life with what Paul calls spiritual bodies, incorruptible bodies. And not only this, but all the reasons we discussed are ours for contentment. Because we are in Christ, his father is our father. We belong to God. Because we are in Christ, we're all brothers and sisters. So we belong to one another as well. And that's a beautiful thing. Even though it doesn't always express itself perfectly, we can rejoice in our fellowship with one another. Because we're in Christ, we can offer true worship to the true God. What we're doing now as we gather each Lord's Day, we can be grateful we're not wasting our time. The God of heaven and earth has promised to meet us in the power of his spirit, something that people who follow their own religion or the religions of the world cannot say. Because we're in Christ, we have a heavenly perspective on our circumstances. Even though our lives may be a total wreck, in terms of earthly standards. Our faith in Christ allows us to be content, knowing that the very same Lord who gave himself for us is the one who is apportioning our lot. And finally, because we're in Christ, we can look ahead to the world to come. Our hope is secure. No matter what happens in this life, we know that there is another life to come where we will dwell with God forever. So during those nights, or any other time when you feel worry, stress, and anxiety, like it's going to overtake you, you can turn to Psalm 16. You can look at these reasons David felt for contentment in the midst of his trouble. You can remember that Christ suffered in every way. He experienced everything that we did but sin. And you can remember that the Lord comforted David. The Lord comforted David even in the midst of his trouble, and he comforts us with the promises of his gospel. It's certainly no guarantee 
as you turn and read Psalm 16, that your worries will melt away or that your circumstances will change. Nevertheless, it's a reminder that the ultimate cause of our satisfaction, of our contentment, is unchanging. Now and for all eternity, God is ours. He is with us. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we are incapable of expressing the depth of gratitude we feel for all the promises you've made to us and kept for us in Jesus Christ. We know how unworthy we are. Above all else, we have you. We have the body, our our brothers and sisters in the faith. We have worship. We have the assurance that everything we experience comes from your hand. We have the counsel of the gospel, all your promises that bring us comfort in the midst of our anxiety. And we have the hope of the resurrection at the end of the age. Let us recall these truths, these secure blessings in Christ in our moments of crisis. May we not deny our troubles or ignore them, but let us with David find contentment in the confession that you are our Lord. We ask all of this in the unmatched name of Jesus Christ. Amen.